Okay. Okay, gentlemen, we are live. Hey, uh, what's up, everybody? It's great to, uh, to be back. Uh, welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. After Hours, I'm Mark DeMeo. Uh, I'm your host, my, my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, Bill Cannon, is with us. What's up, Bill? I'm excited. This We're with an actual NYPD celebrity and, and in the movies too, not just NYPD, you know? Yeah, this is a phenomenal night. We have uh, a, actually a legend, an NYPD legend, uh, an author legend. Uh, let's just, uh, before, we're going to bring him on right now, but let me just give you a little uh, background into who, we're, who our guest is tonight. Our guest served in the U.S. Army as a paratrooper during the Korean War. He won three brown stars and a purple heart. Then he joined the NYPD in 1958 and was pro promoted to detective uh, very quickly. He worked undercover investigating mem um, in the 60s. And uh, th there was this uh, a pattern cases of homosexuals getting murdered. It turned out to be a movie called Cruising starring Al Pacino. And our guests worked undercover to crack that case. Then after that, um, he worked undercover investigating members of the Black Liberation Army. Um, there was a $50,000 bounty put on his head. Um, he was the lead investigator um, in the, in the uh, investigation into the murder of patrolman Phil Cardillo. And uh, when he retired, he transitioned, uh, transitioned into film, uh, film consulting and film acting. Uh, here's just a couple of credits. Um, Countless movies, including The French Connection, The Godfather, Seven Ups. And uh, he's also an author. He has uh, an, a highly acclaimed book, a uh, best-selling. It's called uh, Circle of Six, and it chronicalizes the, um, the murder of Phil Cardillo in Mosque Number no. 7 in Harlem during the 70s. And uh, it's a riveting story, and we're proud to have him tonight. Welcome, Randy Jurgensen, folks. Thank you for having me on the show. Randy, that was too lengthy of an intro, man. You, you, I, was get, <laughs> I was getting embarrassed. You did too much shit, you know? <laughs> really is. Did I go too long? I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> it was like, a, and, and he won a good conduct medal. He won a spelling bee when he was in sixth grade. No, know? no, yeah, actually, you know what? I was just getting, it started off being retired NYP <laughs> detective, wrote a book. And then I, I started looking at his bio. I'm like, you know what? The guy was in the Korean War and born a freaking Purple Heart. I got to mention that. Holy shit. And then I was like, oh my God, he was involved in the movie. I remember the movie Cruising. I was, uh, you know, Al Pacino starred in it. It was a big hit. And uh, I love, uh, you know, I thought it was a great movie. And to, to see that you were an undercover investigating that. And then, you know, undercover in the Black Liberation Army. Who knows what you did there? We're going to find out. But it's just... That, what do you what, what could I have excluded from that? Each one of those things is phenomenal. And, and no, I uh, 
I, I didn't win an award in the sixth grade on a spelling bee. <laughs> you couldn't spell, huh? That's the one thing I suggested you couldn't do, right? No, I couldn't. <laughs> you know, I Randy, one of the things that I read, and I, I, I sinfully didn't read your book because I tried to get it and I couldn't get it fast enough, but I'm going to read it uh, post-show. One of the things I read, which to me was unbelievable, was in 1972, the 3-2, the 2-8, and the 2-5, had over 500 murders. And that was one third of all the murders in the entire city. That's like unbelievable. Correct. No. How many was that's, it? 503 precincts. Yes, that's the, uh, and, and uh, Bill, uh, that, that would continue for a decade. Uh, that would continue for a decade. Yeah. We, we'd entered into, uh, we'd enter into, uh, you know, um, in the seventies where uh, 2000 average uh, between 1,800 and 2,200 uh, homicides were committed a year. And yes, uh, one third of them, if not one quarter of them, was in the sixth division between three precincts. And the 2-8 being the smallest precinct of the 77 precincts that, that we yeah. did have in the city at the time. And they said, I, 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 the manager of the Apollo said, the only way to get out of Harlem is to sing or dance, go to Vietnam, or get killed on the streets. Yeah, that was, uh, the, the, the man who ran the Apollo, his name was Honey Combs, and he was quoting Sammy Davis Jr. who said that, but he ended up by saying after Sammy Davis Jr. sang his, and danced his way out of Harlem, he never came back. Oh, so wow. they, were, they were pissed at that. They wanted them to return to the hood, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was uh, honestly, uh, this term has been used to death, but it really was the bad old days. Yeah. It really was the bad old, old, old days. You're averaging uh, more than two. When you, when, you mix, when you mix in with that, starting in 1971, you know, 13 New York City police officers wearing that magnificent blue uniform, they were set up and they were executed. Piagentini and Jones, Foster and Laurie, Curry and Benetti. Irish, Italian, black, white. Uh, yeah, they didn't discriminate. If, if you were a cop in that uniform, the Black Liberation Army, that's what they were set out to do. That was their mission. Right, I remember. Kill, well, kill when, New York City police officers. When you walk into the 3-2 precinct, to the left, immediately is there's a memoriam to all the police officers that have been yes. killed uh, that were members of the 3-2. Yes. And if you're if, uh, down at police headquarters on that uh, that wall that they have down there, the, the, the wall of heroes, I mean, <clears throat> we have our fair share from the 6th Division, the 2-8, the 2-5, and the 3-2 up on that wall. Wow. It was the bad old days. Well, what back then, too, when you investigated homicides, it was a lot of just gumshoe work, right? And CIs, talking to CIs talking to people on the street. And then, of course, narcotics doing their buy and bust and shaking the tree. That's how you got a lot of information, I would imagine. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, um, a good detective, uh, I'll, I'll even say a, a, a good cop, you know, he doesn't wake up. He doesn't wake up in that morning, Bill, and, uh, and, and solve the homicide. You know, it you know, it's the information. It's it's so important to have that information, you know, and, and, and that's how you get along. Now, I, to speak about myself, you know, I'm born and raised in, in West Harlem. 
the 208 precinct was a four block walk from where I was born and raised on Amsterdam Avenue. So I knew the street. Yeah, I knew the street. Uh, You know, I could see somebody taking numbers a block and a half away. I I knew exactly uh, drugs, you know, and, and, and prostitution and so forth and stuff along the lines like that. Now, I'm not going to say anything wrong about a cop who's born out on, you know, the back end of Long Island out there, you know? You could say it, Randy. You could say it, East Cupcake. You can say it. That was the old expression, right? (laughs) Yes, it was. But, you know, I work with with those cops. It's no exaggeration. I mean, the the first time that they saw 42nd Street, they they were in a uniform, you know? But I'm telling you, they 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 came around quite quickly. They they came around quite quickly, but I had a, a, a lot of success, a, a lot of success in working in Harlem and getting information, because when I was a when I was a kid of twelve years of age, you know I I was taking numbers, illegal numbers, and uh, <clears throat> there there were places uh, in an apartments where you could go. And you you know make sports bets. There was all kinds of television or, or whatever it was that, that was coming across. You know, so I knew all those guys, and a lot of those guys were black. And so when I got to you know when I got to Harlem, I mean, they had been elevated. There they were. <laughs> they were all there. Who was taking numbers? I'm not talking about selling drugs, but who was taking numbers and who was taking sports bets and so forth and so on. So, you know, when when something went down, you know what I mean, and the street couldn't give it to me, I would just go over there and, you know, and I would just simply say, you know, you really, guys, you're not working tomorrow. You're not working tomorrow. This is what I need. And I get it. And I, and I would get the old-fashioned police work. You'd shut them down if they wouldn't cooperate. Exactly. No one's doing business, right? Exactly. Some of my best information came from the doctor. And, and the doctor was the man who sold a bathtub alcohol on Sunday because you couldn't get alcohol on Sunday. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I would go to him on Saturday and, and say, you know, you're not working tomorrow. And th- that's how my information, that's how my, my information came about. And the people trusted you in the neighborhood because you, you grew up there. Exactly. You know, I always when I have a picture of 123rd Street, I always remember sitting up, up and looking way up the hill towards what they call it. Hamilton Heights was the 3-0 precinct, right? And yes. You, you can see up that hill and see exactly the cars coming down and the buses going up. Exactly. And I remember by the projects were on the right and it was a city bank to the left. Maybe not when you were on the job, but when and, and just looking down Amsterdam, but up that hill going up into Hamilton Heights. You know, they, they, they all had they all had names in a, you know, it was uh, the seven nine was Bedford Stuyvesant. That was to, you know, live and die right. in Bedford Stuy. Uh, the four, the four one had Fort Apache and the two eight, which was the smallest one that had the most homicides. And that was called the murder factory. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you aren't so, so far away from being a murder factory in the, uh, in the sixth division there. That's it. That's where the 2 was. It was yeah. the 6th Division. Uh, it, it, in fact, uh, little Randy Jurgensen stories. Uh, in, in 1972, 
um, I believe it was WINS, and they came out and they said, uh, you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. And I had a sign made up and it, I, I, I put it over the door of the squad. Uh, you give me 22 minutes, I'll give you a homicide. You know, the 7-5 stole that from you because they had that on no. their wall too. And they well, also used to say in the 7-5, if you know someone who killed someone, let us know so you can go. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, the other one was it's uh, at, well, the, the, the inspector made me take this one down, but it said, uh, the, the other one said that um, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? And I put that over over the radio thing and I put it uh, uh, up in the squad and I said, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your killer is? So, <laughs> yeah, you know. No one has a sense of humor anymore, right? Oh, well, look, you know, that's the way you get along. Yeah, that, you know, you, you, you got to get along. Uh, Do you because, know you uh, should murderers? <laughs> <laughs> Randy, but yeah. most of the, the uh, homicides in uh, 1972 were narcotics related, correct? Yes, they, they, they all had it one way or another. One, one way, uh, you know, they, uh, they were another. And, you know, I know what you, you know what the term is a ground ball, you know? Sure. So um, that's another copism. <laughs> yeah, most of my homicides were practically solved solved at the scene. The cops were great. The uniformed cops were great. So, you know, uh, there there it was. They knew who did it. You know, they gave me the information, so forth and so on. But the the, the assassinations of the uh, police officers that was uh, that was something different. I, uh, I I worked on the on the Wiley Hoffer the, the Wiley Hoffer case. And uh, of course, they would write a story about that called the Marcus Nelson, which I was very much involved in. And a character came out of that, and his name was called Kojak. And oh, you, yeah. and you know what happened? To, you know what happened after that? Well, working wor working on that case, that was that was a tough one. That really was a tough one. You know, I mean, it wasn't a ground ball. Right. Let me ask them. How did you hook up with uh, Sonny Grasso as a partner? Well, Sonny Grasso has a few years on me, but Sonny Grasso was born in East Harlem and I was born in West Harlem. Oh, was but he born Sonny, over by Rayo's? By, uh, Sonny was. Pleasant but, Avenue over there, right? Yes. That's yes. where all the, Sonny, uh, the wise guys were over there, right? Right, Bill. Sonny was uh, born on 118th Street and, uh, and I was born on, uh, on the East Side and I was born at, on 123rd Street on the West Side. And both of us, uh, both of us were born at home due to one reason or another. But he had five or six years on me, and but Sonny was raised on the West Side, so I must have been about twelve or thirteen years of age, and I knew of Sonny Grasso. He was running the basketball games and stuff like that. That's how I met him. Now <clears throat> I sort of fibbed about going into the military. I went in at sixteen. Wow. And, uh, and of course, Sonny, uh, he upped his draft or whatever it was. And Sonny, uh, Sonny went in when he was uh, 20, 21. And we were both in Korea. I didn't know that he was in Korea, uh, you know, at the same time. Yeah, because you guys could have ran the numbers in Korea, had you known. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I, when I got to the 2-5 and I met Sonny Grasso, I mean, that, that was my reputation, you know. You're still taking single action. He's, he's, the, he's the numbers guy. What's the number today? <laughs> they, they, that's, that was it. That's the truth. So, you know, Sonny Grasso, though, 
even his face, he looks like a tough mofo, right? Oh, you know what? You know, you know how still waters run deep? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, boy. He's that a was it. He was a tough guy, right? But yes, he, he was. It said it all over his face. You looked at yeah, it and yeah, said, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yes, mess with he, this yes, guy, he right? Was. Yes, he was. Uh, and But you know what he had to go along with that, Bill? He had brains. Right. He had brains. You know, some sometimes some of that gets lost in the toughness. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. He was very, very cautious, very cautious. So, Bill, when I was a, a, a graduated the academy, which I almost didn't get out of because they tried to arrest me for taking the numbers while I was in the, in the police <laughs> academy. Yeah, but the two cops, you know, we worked it out. Oh my so, god! <laughs> when I when I went to the when I went to the two five, when I got there, you know, the orders were already posted. Sonny Grasso was already there. He was there about a year, a year and a half. He was standing out on the steps and he he welcomed me. Uh, he welcomed me into the 2-5. And from that point on, we were never separated. Wow. No, we were never separated. Well, how, how come you didn't get involved in the uh, French Connection? That was an, out of narcotics though, right? But I did. I did. Oh, okay. So when, uh, when, when they were down at narcotics, I guess I did about a year, a year and a half in uniform. And they just pulled me off the street. And, you know, uh, I, I really didn't look in 1957, 1958, I didn't really look like the Eddie Egan type of okay. Uh, I didn't have the last name of Murphy or O'Connor, you know what I mean? The police right. commissioners and, you know, it, it really was the Irish that ran the job, you know? No doubt. So they pulled, they pulled me off basically on my looks. Um, <clears throat> There's a handsome dude right there, you see that? It's not popping up. Oh, it's not popping up yet. Uh oh. Click so, on. so um, when I went down to narcotics, Mario Biaggi was in charge. And of course, Bill, Mario Biaggi would go on to be a congressman. Right. So when Mario Biaggi came, it was like these four questions. He says, uh, uh, Where were you raised? I thought, where, were, where were you born? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And so, okay, you're undercover narcotics. And that, and Sonny Grasso was there. So 1962, 1962, you'll love this one. In 1962, they began to work on a case that was uh, by Patsy Fuca. His name was Patsy Fuca. He was an Italian from Brooklyn uh -huh. and he hung out at the Copa and he was throwing money around, you know, like it was growing on trees. And Sonny and Eddie spotted him. They followed him and so forth and so on. And that started the case. Now, they pulled me uh, to go on that case, but never in the inner circle. I was out there doing legwork. I was out there doing stakeouts. I was out there following certain people and stuff like that as they put the case together. So in 1963, I, I which Frank just... Uh, uh, what spoke about, I left narcotics and they sent me and gave me an apartment down on Bleecker Street and I went undercover into the homosexual world or the gay world because there were two people. One was white, one was black. They were called the salt and pepper team. They were shaking down the homosexuals. They were uh, assaulting them. And finally, we had four killings. So I stayed down there 
and I worked that for about six months. After I caught them, I got a gold shield, and I I returned I returned up to Harlem. When you say you were doing undercover there, what what, what were you doing? Which were in narcotics? No, no. When you were do, working that case with the, uh, uh, I had I I I it took me a, it took me quite a while. I had to ingratiate myself get into that world. I found two, Frank, I found two different worlds. I found, uh, Mark, I'm sorry. I found, I found the homosexual that literally worked on Wall Street and was never, not a problem whatsoever, uh, you know, at, at being a homosexual, if you know what I mean. It was a secret, good money, good, well-educated. And then I found the other side, which was called the leather side, you know, with the motorcycle jackets and the leather pants and stuff like that. And they were, uh, to say the very least, they were very, very aggressive, very aggressive. And um, so <clears throat> I saw if I was going to get anywhere, I couldn't believe that the, the people working on Wall Street would be out killing, you know, killing homosexuals. And some of these here, Mark, you know, not only did they kill them, I mean, you know, they dismembered them. They, they, uh, we, they, we found parts uh, floating in the river and parts in a 55 gallon uh, drum. And this was all down on 14th street in the meat market. So that's where I began to hang out. I, I, I hung out and like everything else, I suppose just good police work, dogged, just keeping it up. Sure enough, one night I came across them and they had taken somebody from the street and they had him in the car. And I quickly, they went to the precinct. That was a game that they used to do. They would go to the precinct, one would go inside and he would ask directions. And, and there was a big window there and they made sure that they parked the car where you know the homosexual would see, the gay guy would see him in there talking. They'd come out and say, all right, so far we're good. That's a hundred dollars. Remember, remember in the sixties, what, what really a hundred dollars? That's probably yeah. like a thousand today. Then they would actually keep the guy overnight, Mark, and they would take him into court. And, and they would stand, go, stand in the back of the court one of them would walk up to the front of the court, talk to the bridge man and, and probably say, what part is 1A? What part is 2A? And the bridge man would say, yes. And they would come, they'd come back and they'd say to him, all right, that's another $200. Then they would take him downstairs, put him in a car and drive him up to the parents' bank. And then they would have him call his parents. The parents would come down and take the three or $400 out of the bank. And of course, they took the money and and they let him. They did that for months. That's pretty. Months. That was pretty brazen. What they were doing. Huh? Oh, absolutely. Now, Randy, and why was it the called best part the of it bag was, murders? Why was it called the bag murders? Because eventually, that's where they they started to find them. They they they, they found them in shopping bags, and I'm making it like like there's a hundred of them. It's not so. There was about four or five of them. Uh, you, you know, when I was working on it, right, and. Uh, so we got them, we got them good. We never got them for the murders. We did not. That would come later on. That would come later on. They were known at the time as the salt and pepper team. 
So I got a gold shield. I image. I got a gold shield, and I got sent up. No, I have was to this, tell you. Was this 1970? What year was this? Uh no. This I got. I got up to. Uh, I got up to Harlem in 1964. The case was made in 1962. Wow. Robin Moore wrote the book in the late. Uh, in, in, in the late 60s uh, re, uh, regarding the book. And then of course the picture was made in 1971, but it all emanated from, from that, you know, fr fr from that case. And you're, you're referring to the movie Cruising with Al Pacino. No, I'm referring to the French Connection. Oh, okay, the French Connection. The French Connection. Okay. So while I was, um, yeah, it's a couple of things I would say. So while I'm working on you have to, you, I know you can appreciate this. So while I'm working on two guys that now are suspected of killing homosexuals, <clears throat> they're suspected of doing that. And there was no way that nobody could contact me. If I thought that I was deep in narcotics, it, 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 that was, nobody knew where I lived. That job has never been done before or since. I was on Bleecker Street in the apartment. So I, I, I got paid every two weeks. I would go up to Harlem because we got paid in paper then. Yeah, so but I, you, you didn't need the money. You had all the numbers money. <laughs> you didn't need your check. He's the only guy turning down his checks. We got to get out of here. Don't think I didn't hear that. Hey, go, let's go back. You said you, we got paid in paper. What does that mean? P paid by check. Oh, so you had to go back to the command to get your... Uh, your yeah, your no, but yeah. I, I would have an inspector. That would meet me at a given location and give me my check. You so, know, Randy, if I was you, I would have said, Inspector, get me a cup of coffee too, as long as you deliver my check. <laughs> He's having a boss, a big boss, deliver a check to a detective, right? <laughs> I, I, I tell you, there's a lot of things that I did that, you know, that, you know, okay, you know, it is what it is. But that assignment, Bill, you know, I, I wasn't having any fun at all, if you know what I'm talking about. No, nah, that's that's so, a tough job you had there. You know, so, so I I, I get I, I get paid, and he says to me, "You have to go to the Manhattan District Attorney's office at two o'clock in the morning. Whenever I had to go there, it was always two o'clock in the morning." Now, <clears throat> I have to tell you, Bill. You know, by now I'm in character. I had the star over my eyes. You know, I, I, I got company. I'm hanging out with these guys that are taking me to various places and stuff like that. So that's how I go over to the Manhattan District Attorney's office at two o'clock in the morning. And uh, Najari is, uh, Najari sitting in the office. There, there's two other people in there. And, 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 and Najari says, Hold on, hold on, Randy. Najari is the DA back in 1962 yes, or whatever. Yes, he would go on to Come be on, you, you, you're dating even us. We're not that old. <laughs> so so he's, I'll never forget it. He says, are you a fucking cop? <laughs> are you? My quick answer to him was, I used to be. And he said to me, well, we got this, we got this, we got this going on in Greenwich Village. He says, there's a guy performing a lewd and indecent act. Now, Bill, what would a lewd and indecent act be to you? You know, it got to be something about <laughs> sex. Maybe, yeah. maybe the guy's having sex with an animal. It's a lewd and indecent act. And I'm going to wear a wire, which I didn't want to do. Right. So they gave me the wire. I go up there. And this lewd and indecent act is Lenny Bruce. 
<laughs> oh. So after two or three times up there, I wind up uh, locking up Lenny Bruce. Can you imagine I'm working all this time on Lenny Bruce and there are two guys out there killing human beings or, you know, but they pull me off of that. Some That's politician, some politician thought that this was more important, right? Well, you know what? I, I, I learned later on, it was the Greenwich Village Committee and how powerful they were. You know, if they wanted something done, I mean, it, it, you know, it got done. Yeah. So, like I say, I, I, I broke the case and then I got the gold shield and I, I went up to Harlem. I got up to Harlem in uh, 1964. Hey, uh, let me cut you off before we go on to the uh, uptown. When you're, when you're working that case, that uh, the cruising case, and you're, you're hanging out, you know, and you're, in, uh, you're in the gay community, you're in gay bars, you have friends now. And uh, nobody's looking at you saying, uh, this guy never hooks up, he never gets lucky, he always really? strikes out every night. <laughs> nope. Don't they nope. send in another undercover with you to be like no. you know, my boyfriend or something? No, 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 no. I found I found myself in a narcotic operation, and th this was a good score for me, a good street score for me. And and the man said, you know, we we're going to share this now. And I said, no, I'm not. We're going to share this now. And I mean, and there was a couple of people looking at me like sideways. And I said to myself, boy, am I in trouble here? But no, I. That was the closest that I, that I was going to have to come to, to, like to use a needle, like to get out of there. You know what I'm talking about? No. But with, uh, during the, doing the gay thing? No, I did not. I actually, I actually was invited to and attended uh, a gay marriage. Uh, you know, two guys long before, you, you know, it was fashionable or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was really in that community. I was uh, I was really in that community, and I don't know if you saw the movie or not. I saw it. Well, Don uh, uh, Don, uh, what's his name? Don uh, Cardi. Uh, I can't think of his name. Don. Uh, he played the uh, he he played the my friend in the apartment uh -huh. uh, down the hall. Yeah. Well, they have in the movie they have him killed in real life. He didn't get killed. Do you know how long after cruising was over for years? We remain friends. Wow. Yeah. We remain friends. Wow. Yeah. You know, Randy, I lived in the village. I lived on Barrow Street. And I moved down there right after I got out of the academy in 1985. And there was this bar called the Cubby Hole. And I look, I walk by and it was loaded with women. I go, holy shit, what a score. So I go to walk in and this rather large woman, the size of a linebacker, steps in front of me and says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go in here and have a beer. She goes, are you aware that this is a lesbian bar? And I said, no, I wasn't. But now that you told me, I'm going in there. You're not stopping me. And she she let me in. But all the crowd all moved away from me as I had a beer. And then I just walked out. I just wanted to show her that she couldn't hey, stop uh, me. <laughs> let's, let's do a little promotion here. We'll take a break uh, right now. Um, hey, uh, Randy, we got, we got a sponsor. Uh, it's a hot sauce. It's a killer hot sauce. This is killer hot right here. And uh, that's killer hot. They have incredible artwork. Um, if you go on to silkcityhotsauce.com, you can purchase um, this amazing hot sauce. 
Every single bottle comes with pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silky Silk, uh, Silky Silk City Hot Sauce. And uh, just use the code SilkCityHotSauce.com and put in the code uh, OTC, which is for off the cuff, and get a 15% discount. Uh, Jeff Levine is the owner. I've had, now I've tasted all five of the hot sauce. And I tell you, man, they're really, really good. And um, I've never had better hot sauce. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on a diet right now and it fits perfectly in my, in my uh, organic diet. And uh, check it out, silkcityhotsauce.com. It's on the screen right now. You can see for a 15% discount, you just have to put OTC along with your uh, with your order. It stands for off the cuff. You got like five different flavors um, and it's awesome. So um, I just want to shout out to some of our live chatters. Ryan Investigative Group, Blondie 1025, MC's Audio, Lisa Marie, um, Cat in the Hat, of course. Where would we be without Cat in the Hat? Cheated no more. I got to get to the derivation of that name. I love it, though. Uh, Audie Alfaro, deputy, he's a deputy in Florida. Um, Bob Geis, I worked with him, actually, in the 2-4 squad. He was in the 2-5. Um, Black Rose 11. Of course, Peter Pranzo, the legendary 3-2 lieutenant and street crime lieutenant. Uh who else we got? Rochella Pranzo. Of course, we got to mention your wife or else I'll get in trouble for not doing that. And um, GK5717, Dookie4000. Thank you guys for all watching. And we right now have the great Randy Jurgensen. And I guess we should start approaching the biggest story yep. that you're here to talk about, which is what your book, The Circle of Six, was about. And we'll, we'll let you tell that story. May I, uh, may, may I just give a little shout out? Absolutely. Really? I'd like I'd like to shout out to to my friend uh, and and partner of uh, forty years, uh, Joe Danny Brasco Pistone. Yeah, the FBI agent, right? Yes, that's great. Yeah, yes. I re I read his book, and uh, actually, we were trying to get him on here and uh, through someone else, but he 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 does these podcasts every once in a while too. Yes, he does. He seems like he's still a bull. You know, he's still in good shape. Yes, he is. Yes, he, he, he definitely is. Randy, you're, I, I don't, you're, you're pushing 9 0, right? No, not no, yet. Not don't yet. Do, don't do that to me. I don't want to do it to you, but you're, I mean, you look fantastic. And Thank you, you look like you're healthy as all hell. <laughs> I guess you're living right. You're still taking numbers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I am playing Lotto. That's great. That's great. You look fantastic. I mean, Thank you. That's Thank great. You. I love Thank to you. see cops that live forever, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I used to have a joke where, you know, they say in your will, you should have a do not resuscitate. And I said, no, no way. My wife wants a do resuscitate because when I die, my pension dies with me. Exactly. So I'm going to be 60 pounds and they're going to keep me alive. <laughs> keep collecting yes. that pension. <laughs> same here. Same here. Same here. So uh, I, I, I just, I, I, Frank, I, I just want to, about that cruising, right? Yeah. So a, a couple of years ago, at, at, at the bar where it all broke out, it's a famous that that famous bar that where they had the the, the riots. The I can't Stonewall? think of it. Stonewall. Stonewall. Yeah. So I get invited a couple of years ago to come down to the Stonewall for a book signing. 
and I go down to the stone wall and I meet lieutenants, sergeants, uh, all kinds of cops and, and, and they're gay and they're gay and they're proud. There's a big unit within the, the New York City Police Department that they're gay. Yeah, they call it the uh, Gay Officers Action League. That's exactly goal. right. Yeah, yeah. So I went down there and I-, I I'm not a member, them. I just know about it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, spoke, <laughs> I spoke about, you know, I spoke about the book and so forth and so on. And it's, uh, you know, Bill, Frank, it's like, it's like coming full circle, I guess, right? <laughs> you know, I used to tell people, I used to tell people, uh, I was trying to get across town and I got freaking caught in the, in the gay parade. Uh, that's the fifth year in a row now. <laughs> yeah, it's all. And that's one of the best parades in the city, by the way, for uh, people it, that are uh, tuning it de- in. It def- yeah, it's it, an it, amazing it def- parade. It yeah. definitely is. Yeah. Having a Halloween Day parade, nothing beats that. I don't care where you're from. <laughs> but let's uh, let's let's uh, start talking about. So now you're 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 done with the uh, that investigation, uh, the cruising investigation, and now you become part of. Uh, Doing some invest undercover work uh, for the Bla- against the Black Liberation Army, right? Uh, well, <clears throat> in uh, nineteen in, 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 this case is important. In nineteen sixty eight, in nineteen sixty eight, I'm back doing some undercover work, but this time it's really fun. It seems that the mob, the mob. All these places, uh, their money run. In other words, to get in, it's $5, it's $10 or whatever it is to get in. One of these places is called Authors and it's on 54th Street, something like that. So um, I'm I'm sent down there, I'm at at Authors and uh, people come running in and they're screaming, there's a cop, there's a scuffle with a cop. so I go running. I go running outside, and um, it's it's taking place in an alleyway, Frank. And uh, absolutely, one or two shots go off, and the cop staggers out, and the cop is shot. Uh, he gets off one more shot. It goes across the street. It hits the bank window. The alarm goes off, and I'm able to get both of these mutts. And they are from Brooklyn. They're from Brooklyn. Now that case happens in 1968, and we then decide, the Manhattan District uh, Attorney decides that they're gonna try this case for the electric chair. And so that's what we're gonna do. That's the case that puts the $50,000 on my head. So in 1971, I testify in that case. I testify in that case, we convict them and of course, the federal government did away with the electric chair at that time. So these guys get you know, 25 to life, right? The reason I bring that up, that case is so strong that when we began to catch over the years, the uh, Black Liberation Army killers, and we put them on trial, one way or another, that case was brought into, you know, brought into the present trial, it set precedence because that case, a cop was killed. And here, these guys from the Black Liberation Army were killing cops. So to start with- uh, Randy, can, can, Randy, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think that the death penalty is a deterrent? No, it's not. I know for a fact it's not. 
I know for a fact it's not. It's not. Why do you say and the that? death penalty? The death penalty is the is the most expensive case that you you can come down with, because on an average, the person who's going to go to the chair goes. It's ten years. There's automatic three appeals. The average on these appeals is a million dollars. Is a million dollars every right. time it's an appeal. And yet, so no. Uh, life imprisonment, that was it. But I you know, Randy, the unfortunate thing is life imprisonment doesn't mean that anymore. You know, you see the, the governor of this state we paroling cop killers. Well, you know, I, I presently have out, I presently have out on the street uh, three people uh, that killed cops. I, I, I could call their names, but it, 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 it's not beneficial to what we're speaking about here. So those three people on an average, right? They did 40, 41, and 42 years in, 42 years in jail. They finally, they, they finally got out. They're cop killers. Right. And they're out after, after uh, 42 years. So life imprisonment, you're exactly right. No, it, 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 it's not applicable. Somewhere along the line, you know, the, the, the cop that was killed 40 years ago is, is forgotten about and the parole board. You know, it's expensive keeping these guys in there. They're paying their medical benefits and stuff. Right. Believe me, that's the politics of that's the politics of the whole thing, you know. So they 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 put these guys, they put these guys back out on the street. No matter what the Fuhrer is. And we've testified before that, and I've given my impact statements and stuff like that. These guys are coming out and, and they're going to come out. I got a guy coming out. I got a guy coming out in September of this year. He, and he's a cop killer. And, and he'll come out. Out of the five that, that I locked up, you know, two are dead. One died in prison. But there, there will be three out on the street if this guy lives. So it's not life imprisonment. You're right. Well, now we can get towards the uh, the mosque incident. Yeah. Like to so <clears throat> in, in, 19, in 1971, uh, we've had uh, four police officers uh, set up and shot and uh, killed. Um, can you give us some examples? I beg your pardon? Can you give us some examples of what you mean by set up? Well, you know, a cop walks in Frank, a cop walks in, there's a stick up in the grocery store, but, but, but this, that, you know, nine times out of 10, that cop's going to come out on top. Uh, but cops do get killed. These cops were called to a specific location. And um, it, it was timed how long these cops would get there. The Black Liberation Army did this. Uh, what they would do is they would call in a cop in trouble, a cop, you know, a cop at this location, blah, blah, blah. And then they would stand there and they would see how long it took the police cars to get there. How long it took the police cars to get there. So I will go with Piagentini and Jones, white and black, 3-2 precinct. Um, they get a call that there's a domestic disturbance. So a domestic disturbance means one car. 
It's not like a cop in trouble. It's not shots fired. It means it's going to be one car. And I'm not going to say that people are not going to pay attention to it, but it's one car, right? They get out of the car and they, they walk, they start walking towards the building and they are fired upon triangularly. They are fired upon triangularly. Now, <clears throat> when they hit the ground, when they hit the ground, Jones is still alive. Piagentini is not. They take Piagentini's gun and they use this. I really shouldn't be saying this because it's so hurtful. There are still families around. And they take Piagentini's gun and they use Piagentini's gun to start finishing off. And then they keep the gun as a souvenir. They were set up and executed. Then they, <clears throat> they would go back and they would, of course, all of the story I'm telling you is when we break the case and we, and we get the girls that are involved in it and so forth, they're the ones that tell us what happens after that. They come back, they celebrate, they, they, they celebrate over the, over the killings. So that was Piagentini and Jones. Then they had uh, Stewart, uh, a black sergeant in the 2-8, and Artie Plate. It, it went bad. The shootings went bad. These guys escaped, thank God, but the radio cars were all shot up. Then we have uh, a cop by the name of uh, Joe Mazzilli, uh, a rookie working in the 2-8. And his radio car is coming down the street and it draws sniper fire all into the car. This is all 1971. So whenever we get now a 1013 call, you know, it's all hands on deck. Let's let's keep going. It got to the point now where in the 2-8, no matter what the job was, there was a backup car going to it. That's what we were, that's what we were living on. That's what was happening. And you you were carrying a shotgun with you back then too, right? I carried the shotgun and yes, I sawed it off. I I, I, I sawed it off. I put a strap on the shoulder. Yes, and I carried it uh, uh, on my side. Yes, I did. Remember, was that to, was that to do the numbers collections or? Let me ask you a question. What's the point of sawing it off? No, I couldn't have it long barrel. I, I couldn't conceal it. Oh, okay. I couldn't conceal it. So, oh, I, oh, so I the it. purpose of sawing it off is so you can conceal it. Yeah. I, 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 never, I, I never do that. Yeah. So, oh, so, okay. So let's go back. So, Basically, we have a series of situations where cops are getting set up by the Black Liberation Army. Yes. They're pulling in these phony calls. When do you get yes. involved? So, <clears throat> Twyman Myers, Twyman Myers, who I locked up with Sonny Grasso, that was the end of Sonny Grasso's uh, career. Uh, uh, we got called to go down uh, to uh, 113th Street. And, uh, you know, and we both kept saying, and I kept telling to Sonny, uh, I was really seasoned up there. Sonny, Sonny was only up there a couple, three years, you know, working narcotics all those years. And now all of a sudden, you know, so I, uh, something was not right. So I drove the car in the wrong way uh, into the street. And as we started walking down, Twyman Myers was running at us, running at us with a gun. He ran at us with a gun. But the problem was, the problem was there was a woman up on the stairs and there was another guy on the stairs and they both had guns. So instead of, 
we we backed away from we backed away from Twyman Myers and we ran around the car. And the two that were on the stoop, you know, look, let's face it, I let one go. And <laughs> the two that were on the stoop beat it back into the hallway. Twyman didn't make it into the hallway. We grabbed him and we wrestled our way up into the hallway. And suddenly she came back downstairs with the gun. And as I was taking her with the gun and the guy at the top of the stairs, he fired one in the ceiling for, for I don't know. So Sonny went up, uh, Frank, up, uh, up the banister and they went over the banister and they came down on Sonny Grasso's leg. And that was the end for Sonny. He could never, he didn't walk right. He couldn't do it. He, he would eventually get out on three quarters. So I locked, I locked both of, I locked both of them up. So now Twyman Myers becomes the number one cop killer in the United States of America. The FBI make him number one. He's wanted in the killing of four cops. We get information that he is at 125th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. This is April the 14th, 1972. I now have I now have six cops who don't carry their own gun. One guy's got a carbine, the other guy's got a shotgun. We're, we're going after Twyman Myers. Uh, it's 125th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, and we're all on the radio. And over comes the call, 1013. Cop in trouble. He's on the second floor, 102 West 116th Street. I was so tempted to leave because I thought we maybe we were being drawn off. I was so tempted to leave. There were six of us. I was tempted to leave the two of them. But in that instance, I knew the two of them could not take Twyman from the things that we heard. So we all went. And when I got there, Frank, I was amazed. That, you know, I was in the 28 since 1964. Randy, could, Randy, can I just stop you for one sure, second? Sure. Just for our listeners, you discussed earlier that this was a technique they used. They would call a 1013 at another location to get the cops away from a, an area where they intended to commit a crime. So yeah. you were cognizant of that. So you yeah. were reluctant to leave the post on 125th and Amsterdam. I was. Okay. I was. Okay. So what, what next happens over the radio, it shots fired. Now I'm driving on the sidewalk. I mean, now it's all get out. So I get to 116th Street and, you know, I, I, I was really surprised because 102 West 116th Street, Bill, is the mosque. Right. I didn't recognize the address. But as soon as I got to the building and I saw it was the building, look, I don't care if you were there six months, you know this is going to be a problem. That building, this is going to be a problem. So <clears throat> I'm going down there. And of course, all the people are in the street. And Bill, you would do the same thing. Frank would do the same thing. I'm not running there. I'm walking down. I'm looking sideways. I'm looking for that familiar face that I'm going to come back to later on when this is over. And I'm going to be able to talk to that person. You know, right. so, so I get there. And when I get there, I, I see the commander. And, uh, and, and he says to me, uh, he says, uh, two of them are shot. Uh, two, two of them are shot. They were trapped inside. He really didn't know the whole story and stuff like that. And he said to me, are you catching? Meaning, is this my case? And I said, no. I said, I'm not. So 
it takes me about two or three minutes and I see what's going on. And I, 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 I quickly run into the mosque and I see people, I, I, I see people uh, downstairs and I, I see cops downstairs and stuff like that. Nobody knows what's going on. The only people that are gonna know what's going on, Bill, are the people that have been brought over into the hospital. So I jump in the car, I get up to the hospital. My dad works there uh, in charge of the maintenance department. I get up there, I see my father, he's worried like hell thinking it's, so <clears throat> I go, it's a triage, it's a triage. I look in the first one and there's a cop and he's convulsing. They're trying to hold his legs down. I go into the second one, the cop is actually screaming and he's got his gun out. They took our guns, they got our guns, they're beating us, blah, 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 so forth and so on. And I can understand the moment. I go into the third tent and there is Vito Navarro sitting down there, bleeding from the mouth, bleeding from the ear, bleeding all over. And now I realize the shot cop was Phil Cardillo, who I knew. I knew him as a civilian. I knew him before he became a cop. And I told him, I said, Vito, don't worry. You know, St. Luke's, we've never lost a cop here. He's going to be in good hands. I said, Vito, I need for you to come with me. The nurse says, he's not going anywhere. Now we took a towel, wet towel, and I wrapped it around his face and he said he would come with me. As I started to walk out, I'm telling you, this is, it's in the book. I start to walk out with him and there's the police commissioner and the mayor standing there. And the police commissioner calls me by name. I got this wounded cop, calls me by name to come over. And I come over to the police commissioner, the mayor is standing there, I didn't realize how tall Mayor Lindsay was. And the police commissioner says to me, uh, you know, things are under control over there at 116th Street, he said. And uh, he said something else. And, and I said to him, I said, but they're still calling 1013s. Honest to God, the next words out of his mouth was, and he said to me, it's a disturbance. It's not a riot. And I said, I never, before I could finish saying it out, the mayor says, a riot? And the police commissioner says, no, it's not a riot over there. And with that, they start to talk. I walked away. I walked away. But you can That's... tell this was political bullshit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, you know, Bill, at that time, that's not where my mind is. You know what it is. You know, I need this information. Not only me. but Well, so you're, you're, Randy, I... your intention was to do a show up with this cop, to do a show up to identify the what people I, that did exactly this. That's exactly what I was going to do. Right. You're exact. You summed up the whole thing. So when I I, I I get him back there, I got him in my own car, uh, which uh, which by 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 the time I get him back there and I'm walking down towards the mark, they overturned my car and set it on fire. So I yeah. So I I I, I get to the door at the mosque. Now when I left, Bill, the mosque was surrounded by cops. I come back. It's surrounded by Muslims. I can't get in the door. And he says, you're not coming in here. So I took a step back. You know, I, I, took, I took a step back. I opened my coat. You know, there was the shotgun. And I said, I'm not going in here, but he's going in here. And they said, yeah, man. And they let him in. And Vito went downstairs, right? And Vito started to do whatever he was going to do. Before Vito finished, right? 
I'm going to call his name. He's, he hasn't sued me yet. Congressman Rangel shows up. And Congressman Rangel is talking to the commissioner. Not the commissioner at the hospital, but the commissioner on the scene. His name is Ben Ward. And he would later be the police commissioner. He talks to Ben. Ben Ward comes downstairs and says, all police have to leave. Now the cops, they got handcuffs on these guys, Vito. All, all have to leave. You have to leave. That's an order. Seedman is down there. Seedman's not leaving. Seedman would not leave. And Seedman right? is the chief of detectives. A chief tough of guy, detectives. A tough chief guy who's smoking a cigar, right? You got it. Seedman picks up the telephone and Seedman calls police headquarters and he gets Cod. Cod would later be a police commissioner. Right. He tells Cod, I need reinforcements. I need people to come up here. Cod denies it and Cod tells him, leave the mosque. Seedman reluctantly and six or seven cops leave, but they broker a deal with with Congressman Rangel that he's going to bring in the prisoners, the suspects, whatever you want to call them, Bill, he's going to, he's going to bring them in. He's not going to bring them into the 2-8 in the middle of Harlem. He's going to bring them down to the 2-4. So now the investigation is all moves down to the 2-4. And, and that never, ever happened, right? Well, as I'm speaking to you here tonight at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, they still haven't showed up. Yeah. The prisoners that still have not showed up. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning of, of that's the beginning of of, of what we're talking about. What became known as the Moss case, uh, uh, the Phil Cardillo case, uh, and the investigation. Honestly, you know I'm a cop's cop, uh, but the cops, their investigation is who gave that order, who said not to, you know, not to bring the prisoners in. Who who said to, to to leave the scene? When I when I left when I left the scene, Bill, the guy, his name was Mitchell Five X Sansan. He's the guy that took the gun from the cop. Of course, I'm telling it like it's in real time. I would find this out later. He's mopping up the crime scene. Right. He's mopping up the blood. And so out the door, out the door. Randy, can I just stop you for one second? Sure. What was the scene like outside the mosque on 116th oh Street? No, How many no, people no. were there? Yeah, snake dancing, uh, cars overturn, small fires, bricks off the so, roof. So there was a riot. There was oh, a riot. yeah. Big time. Seedman, Seedman ran. Seedman had a run. And so now, now, why it's like that? Because while I'm downstairs, while they're in there, an inspector gets on a bullhorn and he stands up and he says, all white cops leave the area. All white cops return to your command. Now you you understand in 1972 we are being led we are being led by veterans from the Second World War. They're all captains and stuff like that. I'm a Korean veteran, so I already got 15 years on the job. There's a bunch of Korean guys, and now we're starting to get guys from Vietnam. Why do I talk like that? I I say this to you, Bill Frank, because we are a semi-military organization. Right. An order given is an order obeyed. And so the white cops left the area. They left 12 cops there. They couldn't control the streets. Absolutely not. The streets were in total in turmoil. So now I leave. I get a call on the radio. 
Randy, come on back. Bring your unit back. So I come back with only four guys this time. Go up on the roof. These bricks are going to kill somebody. We go up on the, uh, uh, you know, we go up on the roof. There's a lot more to this, but we go up on the, uh, up on the roof. We stop the kids from throwing the bricks off. That makes more people to come into the street. It's totally chaos now. It's gone. Up comes an inspector and he says to me, me personally, are you authorized with that weapon? And I said, I am. He tells the cop that's there, take that weapon from me. So I broke the weapon down and I gave it. Then they searched, they searched the other four cops that I was with and they removed, they, and they removed that weapon. Remember, we had these weapons. By the way, we were authorized. We right. had these weapons. Now we're going to come downstairs. We come downstairs. Out of the four of us, three of us wound up in the hospital. Three of us wound up in the hospital. You know, the first time I walked into the hospital, I said, Dad, don't worry about it. The second time I was carried in. That's what went on in that day. And there's so much more that went on in that day. Now, to think, to think, uh, you know, Frank, Bill, to think that you're going to put this case together, that you're going to, you, you know, you're going to go out and find out who did this when we're not allowed to go to the mosque, when Minister Farrakhan Rand, is saying, Randy, let me, could I just stop you for one second? Sure. I, I, I have a pretty good idea of the answer, but I just want to, for our listeners, was the orders not to do police work coming right from the mayor? Was that where the orders were coming from? You know, I couldn't, I, 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 I couldn't prove that. I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't prove that, but I'll tell you this right now. There's no captain, no captain is going to get up there and separate black and white co uh, cops. There's there's no captain that's going to say, uh, there's no inspector that's just going to say, everybody out of the basement, leave the prisoners. No, this had to come, you know, well, the fish but, but stinks ben, from the head ben on Ward, back. Ben Ward gave the order, from what I understand. I would say, I would Charlie say, Rangel, right? I would say that Ben Ward was following orders. Yes. I don't think, I don't think, the man has passed on, so I, I don't think he had balls enough to, to give that order. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe he was following orders. And look, I did a pretty good, you know, two or three year investigation here. And I and, and, and I saw where all, you know, all the rocks were hidden, if you will, you know. But everybody, from that day on, everybody just made a 180 away from that case. Nobody wanted the case. No, nobody wanted it to go. And, you know, everybody was hoping and praying down at the Puzzle Palace at 1PP there that Phil Cardillo would live. Because, you know, Bill, if he lived, right, it would be just another cop shot, so forth and so on. But Phil died. Right. And once once he died, all bets were off. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like, what? you know, you're in the middle of all this stuff right now and the job's not backing you. I mean, how do you feel at this point right now? Because you have, you have an enemy. You know who your enemy is, and you have your, your, you know, you're ready to fight. And then you turn around, and the people who are supposed to have your back, they're gone. They've joined the enemy. Well, what do you do now? Well, what happened was, and I would later on, like, uh, I would pay for, I would pay for what I'm going to tell you I did. So. <clears throat> I just took every piece of paper there was, every single thing that had to do with it, every newspaper article, I just took it all out of the precinct. 
I put it in my car and I drove to 20th Century, 20th Century down on 50, 56th Street. Uh, uh, that's where we made the French connection out of. And I, I, I set up an office there. They gave me an office with phones. They gave me assistants who weren't cops. And that's, and that's where I worked the case. And immediately the word was, he's left the reservation. He's, <laughs> he's a rebel. He's gone without whatever he's doing. I actually, and I got this cooperation. Frank, I'm going to tell you the truth. I needed a cop. He was working eight to four in the three, two. I told him, get a cab, get down here now, come down. It's the Cardillo case. Not, not only didn't they do that, they drove the radio car right down and delivered them to me. And I kept them there for hours and we went through it. I had schematics, uh, 20th century replicated the, the, the mosque, the hallway and so forth and so on. I, 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 I did all of that. And all the inspector that was in charge of me was, I'm going to fire you. Uh, you're disobeying orders. You're doing this. I just kept right on walking. I never even listened. They got to the point. They got to the point, they withheld my check. They, they, I, they, they weren't going to pay me until a lieutenant stepped in and said, you imagine that they had to go meet the, the, the inspector up in the park in Harlem? <laughs> yeah. Check? yeah. So, so what, what, what happens now, what happens now, Frank and Bill, here comes a man by the name of Sam DeMilla from the PBA. And the world changed. Whatever I needed, whatever I wanted, blah, blah, blah. I got it. And I continued to work down there. It, it, it was like a, a, a splinter uh, uh, from where it was. I was away from everybody. And some of the precincts were very, very happy that I did that because whenever I went into the precinct, whatever was going on in the precinct, it stopped. Jurgensen's here. You know what I'm talking about? It's the Moss case. So, so they were very, very happy. They, they were totally and completely happy that, you know, that, that I was off uh, going someplace. Then, of course, you know, <clears throat> I began to, uh, you know, as best I could, I knew I needed a Muslim. They said I couldn't go to, uh, I, I couldn't go to the mosque. I wasn't going to do that. I couldn't go to the mosque. So I, I, I remember turning to Vito Navarra, the cop of the, I said, I'm going to make them come to me. And so I put up all these wanted, all, all by hand. I rolled them all up and I went to uh, the, the, the division in Brooklyn and I asked the division, put this out in every precinct that you got, especially in the squad. I did the same thing in the Bronx. If you lock up a Muslim, call me, I'll be there. And sure enough, sure enough, it took eight months. Sure enough, I, I, I must have went 15, 20 times with no luck at all. And one day I'm on my, I'm on my way home. I, I, I was coming on my way home. It was my father-in-law's birthday and I bought the infamous uh, Ganolis. I was going <laughs> to bring him, bring him at home. I got a call. We got a Muslim over here at the precinct. I walked in, Bill, Frank, when I walked in and I saw him and he was chained to the radiator, I knew I had it. I didn't even talk to him. I knew I had it. And sure enough, sure enough, it was him. It was, it, it, it was, it was one the of the guys that were he in was the, the mosque. Yes, he was the witness, right. He was the witness. Foster 2X Thomas. And instead of, when I got him, 
instead of taking him into a precinct because I knew what was going to happen, I called up uh, Joe Pistone, FBI on 69th Street. And I said, Joe, I, he said, come on up. And I came up and, and he's, I always remember he said to me after we were up there a while, he said, is it true you got Ganolis in the car? <laughs> <laughs> Rand, Randy, let me ask you something though. When you did the show up with Vito, he picked some people out, right? Because there was guys in handcuffs. Right. Did you ever find out who they were? No. no so he, he ID'd up. some guys that were perps that were beating them. They were locked in a hallway or in a stairwell and the doors were locked at both ends and they the got the shit beat out of them, the, right? The, the, the shooter wasn't, the shooter, Bill, the shooter wasn't down there. The shooter was at Harlem Hospital as an aided case. But the guy who took the gun, who took the gun, which we never recovered, he took it upstairs. Minister Farrakhan, uh, uh, no, not minute, word for get get the gun out. So he was there. The guy that when they went in, that locked the doors, that trapped them in there, he was there. He was down there. I would learn this later on. It took me a couple of years. I, yeah. I would learn it later on, a couple of years. Yes. Yes. No, the shooter, the shooter was an aided case. But you, do you know this to this day? Do you know who the shooter is? Yes. You do? Yes. But there is no, there's not enough um, probable cause or evidence right, to arrest him. Uh, right, right now he's like he's he's like in a in a in a halfway house, and for the last year or so, you know, he's he, he, he's been dying. Yes, he's been dying. Yes, he's uh, in Harlem. Yes, and he's been visited. Well, this is a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. He was visited by Minister Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. No, after the trial, no. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he disappeared. He was afraid that he was going to be killed. In fact, you know, he went on record by saying that, that, that I was going to kill him. And when, when they asked him the proof, uh, he said, yes, look, look in detective's eyes. Just look in his eyes. He's going to kill me. So, yeah. But for a couple of times during your police career, there was a contract out on your life, right? Yes. Yes. By the BLA. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and, and, you know, and they aired it out, Bill. They aired it out in the Amsterdam News. They would call up the Amsterdam News and it would be in the Amsterdam News, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, and, one, and one time they put Sonny Grasso, uh, Sonny Grasso in with me. And Sonny said, well, I guess I can't work with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way you get through these things, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Those are the things that I remember. For our... our uh listeners and fans uh, can you give us a difference between like the black liberation army and blm oh matter I, no i have to tell you there's a world of difference uh, whatever blm is doing however they started out uh, for, for what they wanted to do uh and and what it turned into uh you know and, and what it and what it turned into no the Black Liberation Army started out to kill cops and they ended up, after we got them, they were killing cops. That, that's exactly what they did. Yes, the, the Black Liberation Army, they did hit, here we go, I'm, I'm giving you an opening line here, Bill. They did hit a bar where all the numbers money would, would, would come at the end of the day and they hit that bar just to get the money so that they could keep going. <laughs> uh -huh. They, they, they they did things like that, but no, they they the black 
that uh, uh, BLM is is not out is not out dedicated uh, to kill cops. No, 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 they're not. Randy, someone just uh, asked me to tell you that they're watching this with your former partner on the Moss case, D. Who? D. That's what he's called. Bill Ryan from Ryan Investigation says he's watching with the uh, former partner on the Moss case named D. That's all he's saying. He's not giving any more information than that. Ryan, Bill Ryan, could you give me any more information now? He's not ringing well, a bell. It would be, uh, it would, it would be Vito. You know, my partners were Sonny Grasso, Vito. Uh huh. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, he's not giving me enough information. He doesn't want to out out him on the air here. But uh, <laughs> this is a, a fascinating case, and I'm sure, even to this day, even though you know so much more and probably know who the shooter is and know who all the players are it's yes it's, it's lewis lewis 17 x dupree right we went through two trials with him it's lewis 17 x dupree uh, i mean was i there no there were two other muslims that saw him do it and one of them is foster 2x thomas uh you know that lived with me for two years two and a half years running almost up to canada out to jersey you know, I don't want to exaggerate, but, you know, literally running for our lives. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> what and, did you say and, that you see, you're talking about, you had to keep him, uh, you cared for him. You made sure that, uh, oh yeah. Cause he gave you this information that, oh yeah. You would oh, yeah. Him? No, the, fir the first thing I did, the first thing, well, I, I, you know, when I keep saying I, you know, there are other people involved here. The, the first thing that we did is we put him in the grand jury. I mean, he stayed in the grand jury. Uh, until that whole story was out. And once once that story was out, he walked out of the grand jury and in, in five minutes, the light went on and, and, and we indicted. We indicted Lewis 17 X Dupree. We absolutely did. And from that point on, when, when I got him after Frank, when I got him uh, Foster 2X Thomas and I went to the FBI office, after we finished off the cannolis and stuff like that, <laughs> I, I called the DA and the DA met me nine, 10 o'clock at night down, uh, down in Manhattan. And I went down there with him in Manhattan. We had a stenographer and two other witnesses and we kept them there for about an hour, an hour and a half. And when, when the DA was satisfied that he was, the DA said to me, here's $40, which I owe him to today. He never lets me forget it. And he said, run. I said, well, I think I'm, he says, I don't want to know. Don't tell me, don't tell anybody where you're going. Uh -huh. And I didn't. And so we ran. And the first motel that I found is, is where we stayed. And the first night that we were together, he said to me, you're going to kill me. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, but I'm going to stay awake that you don't kill me. Because <laughs> I, you know, and I don't know who you That's called or whatever. It is. How, long, how long does this, ha this go on with you with this guy? Two years. Are you, oh my God! Wow, two years. Hey, Bill, can you run off the people that uh, that are tuning in tonight and also sure. our uh, our new Patreon subscribers? I gotta hit the head. Uh, Randy, Frank, Randy, Frank, the, no, that's Frank, Mark. Mark, 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 Mark. Before you go, no, I'm yes, not going nowhere. I'm coming right yes, back. It was two years for me. It was six years for Joe Pistone. Wow. Six years being Danny Brasco, undercover. Randy, the partner was Marino Di Cristina. Oh, 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 that okay, was that's yes. D. Okay, 
So yes. now you recognize who it is. Yeah. I just want to sh uh, shout out to a bunch of our people on the live chat. Dookie 4000, Black Rose, uh, Vinny Flores, of course, Ryan Investigative Group, Dawn Marie, uh, John R. Bayer, Vinny Flores, Cat in the Hat, MC's Audio, big fan of ours, L Elise D, John R. Bayer, uh, Blondie 1025, uh, Pete Pranzo, Richella Pranzo, Bob Geis, big fan of ours. Bob Geis also did a... Um, he did a case for uh, on investigation discovery, the perfect murder. He did a double homicide from the two four with uh, Nikki Silas, and I, I forget the other name, but he did a great job on that case. All good uh, guys. The two four. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. And uh, Randy, you know something? This case is like so so fascinating, but I don't think we can cover everything tonight because uh, it's just too much. It's too. Would you come back at another time? Yes, I will. Uh, Love to have you back. Let, let me let, let, let me part with a, with a few, few few things. When I speak about this case, when I get when I get going get going, and there's an audience or I, I, I speak to people, they usually they usually leave the room and they don't sleep that night. <laughs> you know, this is very upsetting. This is very upsetting. You know, and I recognize that. But let me leave you with this. Um, as of uh, two weeks ago, as of two weeks ago, uh, Circle, of, Circle of Six uh, was optioned. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, and, and they optioned it to make a film. I've been here before. I've been here before a couple of times, uh, but I've not been this close. Uh, so keeping our fingers crossed, you know, and I, I certainly will keep you guys posted as to as to how this shakes out it's a fascinating story i can't believe it hasn't been made into a movie yet because it is such a fascinating story i would imagine it'd be difficult now because they'd want to flip it you know they want to take something like this story and make all those people angels and the cops the devil so just i'm just saying be wary because I know they're going to option it, but they're going to want to flip the script, man. There's no way they're going to tell the story the way it really should be told. You know, you know, everybody, everybody today is defunding, uh, disbanding. Uh, you know, instead of the cops being part of the solution, they've made them part of the problem. So if you want to go back to 1972, 1973, 1974, this is a clear case of a, a community being exactly against the cops. And then you had a community that was actually executing them. So that that the story that that, that couldn't be told back then is the story probably that, that that can't be told today. I'm hoping, listen, I'm hoping that you get greenlit. I'm just... I just, uh, <laughs> I see the way they're picking the stories nowadays, the, what they did with um, the way they see us or whatever the name of that nonsense was, um, told from the, the point of view from the parents. Of course, all your kids are angels. You know what I'm saying? Of course, they're angels, but that's not what happened. And uh, this is a hundred times worse. I can't imagine that uh, this is going to get greenlit or somebody's going to, because who's going who's gonna to watch it? Who, who's your audience right now? You know? Yeah, you're making a lot of sense. I mean, Randy, this is for cops. This is a story 
where there was never really justice. They were flipping. They were flipping. You, yeah. you would turn out to be the guy who held him hostage for two years, <laughs> trying to get him to confess to a crime that he didn't commit. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've read the book or not. And uh, Bill, you said you're going to read the book. Absolutely, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Well, you know, I, I was drummed out of the job. I was, I, I had a grocery store list uh, disobeying. Uh, <clears throat> I had, they, they wouldn't let me stay. It was either perp walk or get out. And so I got out 19 days before I had uh, 20 years. They, 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 they wouldn't give it to me. They, they, they absolutely would not give it to me. Uh, they broke me from first grade to, uh, to second grade and, and took, uh, took 60 days, took uh, 60 days pay from me. Uh, did, did, did I deserve some of it? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I, I went, I, look, I, I, I went far. You can't do this. As soon as they said you can't do this, that's it. Right. But Randy, you, know, you had a pretty but, damn yeah, good life. Movie. You had a damn good life even without the police department. You got, oh, yeah. you got involved in the movie business. You became yes. an actor. You know, I bet you even banged a few stallets here and there. <laughs> I, 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 gotta, I, I plead the fifth. Yeah. The phenomenal story. I plead the fifth. Listen. It's, Listen, I am the cop in The Godfather that kills James Kahn in the toll booth. I shoot Sonny Corleone. Wow, that's unbelievable. If you're running The Godfather and you get to that scene, stop it. Sonny got of course, I was a, of course, I was a lot younger, but yes. I love what Sonny got mad. We whacked Philip to tell you at 10 o'clock this morning. I would love, you know what? I would agree. I would green light it because I would love to see a movie like this, something that turns it on 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 its head and actually shows you what it's really about, what's going on here. Um, it's it's an amazing story. Like Bill mentioned earlier, we would love to have you back. We'd love to find out what's the result if this thing is going to get green lit. I want a part. Bill wants a part. Yeah, yeah we all want parts in this movie. <laughs> all right, I promise you, I'll, I'll leave you with this. So it's 1970, 1971, and uh, we're in the 28. Uh, Sonny and I are in the 28. Downstairs calls up and says, Hey, there's a guy here who says he's Patsy Fuca. He's been in jail. He's come out. He, he's Patsy Fuca. He wants to come up and see you. Well, we know without saying that they've tossed him, you know? So upstairs he comes and he walks in. All five, six, five foot six of them, he walks in and he says, you, Sonny Grasso. And of course, I got my hand on my gun and this, that. And, and Sonny says, yeah. And he says, I hear you're going to make a movie. And he says, yeah. He says, well, Sonny, he says, Boyd Lancaster better play me. He turns around <laughs> and walks and walks out of the precinct. That's the truth. <laughs> Who is the guy again? Patsy Fuca. That's the case that we busted. Well, I didn't bust it. In 1962, that's the start of the French Connection. It Whoa, started wow. in 1962. Patsy Fuca. That's unbelievable. And of course, Tony Lobianco plays him, uh, uh, you know, in the movie. That <laughs> used to be my favorite movie for years, The French Connection. And that's then when I realized movie. that I that case was over 110 pounds of heroin, and sometimes they get that in a car stop now, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it's a different time. Yeah. But anyway, listen, before we go, let's give a shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, uh, Carol Holderman, 
Ron Sanchez and Carol Waters, her husband, Rob Mahone, um, is actually the one he uses his wife's uh, thing because he's... Uh, I just want know. to give an explanation also to our live chat people. We Our um, YouTube live chat thing got screwed up with a, a password, a security thing. So now they froze us for a couple of weeks. I'm waiting for the new password before we can get monetized again. So my own incompetence on the computer caused this. So as a result, we're not going to make our first million for years now. So we're not able to get money from our uh, live chats. But as far as the Patreon too, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, it's www.patreon.com slash police off the cuff. And please, if you're not a subscriber to our YouTube page, please hit that button. I'm learning all this stuff from Duty Run. And a lot of you uh, Duty Run fans are becoming police off the cuff fans. Our guest tonight was one of the most fascinating guests we've had so far, and uh, we're going to have to bring him back. This story is too fascinating. There's too many angles to it. And, you know, once he gets this movie, I want, I want a part. I won't go nude, though, because I'm, I'm Irish, and I don't, you know, I don't have to explain anything else. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, guys, thank, thank, thank you for having me, and please keep up the good work. Please keep up the good work. Thank you, Randy. We're trying to... Uh, give some good morale to the cops that are still on the job now and to tell them all is not hopeless because in 1972, it seemed more hopeless than any time oh, right now, right? God. And to uh, people listening tonight, the guys and gals were sponsored by best hot sauce in the world, Silk City Hot Sauce. It made, is uh, made from small batches with pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City Hot Sauce. Jump on board. And uh, go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, put in OTC off the cuff for a 15% discount. And Randy Jurgensen, it was uh, such an honor. And I could listen to you for days. And like Bill said, we'd love to have you back. Okay. So, so you know, tomorrow... Randy, the thing is, I like to tell war stories too, you know? But <laughs> I, I usually only do it when I'm drinking though, you know? And I'm, I'm drinking more, I'm drinking Poland Spring here because... My war stories get better as I keep as I keep drinking, you know. Listen, Bill, Bill, <laughs> yeah, Frank, get a dollar on six two seven tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm gonna run the number, I'm gonna give you a call. <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna write that six two seven. All right, Randy, thank you so much Randy, for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Police I'm off the cuff. That for tomorrow. Thank you so much. You're the man, man. Take Randy. care, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Good night, everyone. <laughs>